Here at Doxadeo Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. And welcome back to session four of Follow, as we examine what it means to take daily steps with Jesus. As disciples, we do not simply want to know about Jesus. We want to follow Him with everything we are in every facet of life. And so these six life-giving habits that we are examining, they work to establish us in the new life that only Jesus can give. And in this session, we want to look at our fourth habit. I live a life guided by the Holy Spirit. You see, as a Christian, you've been invited into a relationship with your Creator. Because of Jesus, we now discover that our sins have been forgiven, we've been redeemed and restored, and now we've been invited to partner with God in this adventure that we call life. But from this, very often, a question arises in the hearts of many young Christians, and it's this. You know, if all of this is true, then is it really necessary for me to have the Holy Spirit in my life? And I want to say the answer is an emphatic yes, and here's the reason. Let me illustrate. You know, one of the greatest marvels of engineering over the last couple of years is the symphony of the seas. It's the largest, the most expensive cruise liner mankind has ever constructed. This thing costs $1.3 billion. It's five times the size of the Titanic, and it has a maximum capacity of more than 9,000 people. It's a monster. And this is just crazy. Listen to some of the optional entertainment extras that you can partake in on this boat. More than 40 restaurants and bars, 23 pools, jacuzzis, and water slides, two West End-sized theaters, an ice rink, a surf simulator, two climbing walls, a zip line, a fairground carousel, a mini golf course, a 10-story fun slide, laser tag, a spa, a gym, a casino, plus dozens more shopping and entertainment opportunities. You know, when I read that the first time, it reminded me for some reason of the mindset that I used to have as a young Christian about the Holy Spirit. You know, he's the person of the Trinity that I don't really understand all that well. And it kind of seems that he's just there to spice up the Christian life in some way. So not a core function, but an optional extra. But the thing is, what makes the symphony of the seas an engineering marvel is not what's found on the ship, it's what's found under it. The thing that these engineers were able to do that's a miracle in their field was they were able to fit not two or three, but four 25,000 horsepower engines into this hunk of metal, and these literally drive the city on a sea forward. And this is exactly who the Holy Spirit is in the Christian life. He is the one who empowers us for everyday 
life. You cannot be a lawyer or a doctor or a painter or a plumber without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. You can't be a father or a partner, a friend or a brother without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 8 verse 5 that a Christian is someone who lives their life according to the Spirit. So Jesus himself promised in John 14 verse 16 that he would send us his Spirit to guide us and strengthen us. It says the following, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. We don't have to walk this life alone. No, through the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God is with us at all times. This is who the Holy Spirit is. And so maybe before we start asking some questions about what the Holy Spirit does, let's first speak about the identity of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? And according to the Bible, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God is one in essence, one in nature, but He's three in person. Listen to how the book of Ephesians speaks of this unity. It says in Ephesians 4 verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So this idea of the triunity of God, often called the Trinity, it's a mysterious concept. You know, theologians have been wrestling with it for centuries. But maybe one way that we can start to think about it is the following. You know, you and I, we are a tri-unity. We are spirit, soul, and body. Listen to our first Thessalonians 5.23 puts it. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our spirit is the place of communion with God. Our soul is the place of our will and our intellect and our emotions. And our body is our physical presence. So we are three and yet we are one. So to grasp that we are a triunity is to grasp that all that I am, spirit, soul, and body, is equal in value, but different in function. And it's exactly the same with God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One in essence, but different in function. And the beautiful thing is that this triune God wants to make his home in us. John 14, 23 says, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. This is who the Holy Spirit is. He is the third member of the Godhead. He's the presence of God in us. So, Let's maybe examine a couple of questions then with regard to what the Holy Spirit does, His work. And maybe a first question that we can look at is, what does the Holy Spirit actually do? 
Now, of course, the Bible weaves this great tapestry of the work, all of the work that the Holy Spirit does. So we can't cover nearly all of it here, but maybe just one or two thoughts. First up, the Holy Spirit reveals to us what is true. He reveals to us what is true. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. Verse 17 says, He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. See, the Holy Spirit is not just here to help us. He's here to guide us into truth. So practically this would be to have this still small voice in you that speaks to you whenever you are doing something that deviates from the heart and the character of God. It calls you back. It's to have this voice on the inside that when you are down and you feel defeated, who speaks courage and hope into your heart. So when your boss has yelled at you, who speaks to you about forgiveness. The Holy Spirit is here to guide us. And hearing the Holy Spirit in this way and many others, it's not supposed to be this rare occurrence that only is reserved for a bunch of select, you know, super holy Christians. No, it's the expectation of every single Jesus follower. God desires that each of us desire the voice of the Holy Spirit. I think you could even take it further and say that this kind of life-giving relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's the atmosphere that God has created us to live in. He guides us. But secondly, the Holy Spirit also makes us new. We've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit to almost a new species, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Christians are a new creation. And without the Holy Spirit, this is impossible. We would never be able to partner with God in all that He has for us. So Romans 8 verse 9 says, You are no longer ruled by your desires, but by God's Spirit who lives in you. People who don't have the Spirit of Christ in them don't belong to Him, but Christ lives in you. Verse 11 says, Yet God raised Jesus to life, and God's Spirit now lives in you, and He will raise you to life by His Spirit. He makes us new. But also thirdly, the Holy Spirit makes God present to us. He makes God present to us. Through the Holy Spirit, God has not just come to set up shop near us or to have His abode in close proximity. No, through the Holy Spirit, God has come to make His home in us. We literally, through the Holy Spirit, live in the presence of God. J.D. Greer says, victorious Christianity is not found in knowing a bunch of stuff or manufacturing all the right feelings. It's found by abiding in the presence of a person. Think about this. I mean, could they ever be something better than walking with God in flesh and blood for more than three years on this earth? Because that's what the disciples had. 
And yet Jesus says, I can think of something better than that because he made this provocative statement. In John 16, he says, but in fact, verse 7, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. Maybe a second question that we could ask then is, how does the Holy Spirit actually guide us? And I want to refine that question by rather saying, what is the direction? What is the, the focus of where the Holy Spirit wants to guide us? Because A.W. Tozer famously said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So the Holy Spirit guides every Christian towards the reality of knowing that God is a God of truth, a God of love, a God of holiness, and a God of grace. The Holy Spirit guides every Christian toward the reality that our original design is found in Jesus. The Holy Spirit guides every Christian toward the reality that to sin is to miss our design and our purpose in God. The Holy Spirit guides every Christian toward the reality that our true innocence is found in Jesus. That on the cross, we know that we have received his life and his victory, and he has received our shame and our guilt and our sin. He guides us toward these truths. And you know what? Many people think that faith, that Christianity, it's restrictive. It's, it's holding us in this little tight wound. But the reality is, Paul, when speaking about this life that's guided by the Holy Spirit, he actually calls it freedom. And he does that often, but let me give you one example. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 16 says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, in Jesus we have freedom in Christ. And this means that now my greatest desires are caught up in the heart and the will of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ compels us. Since we've reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. So to sin and to self, I have died. And it means I'm now open to let go of my own selfish desires and dreams and hopes. And I am now open to hear the voice of the Spirit guiding me into all truth. Let me tell you about maybe one moment in my life where I experienced the Holy Spirit speaking to me, guiding me into a moment of truth. A couple of years ago, we were living in a townhouse complex. And one evening, I get back home very late after a ministry engagement and as I drive past the security guard at the gate, I just have this, this voice, this unction in my heart. And it just says, 
give him some coffee. And I think to myself, this is stupid. This is not God. This is just a thought in my mind. And so I put it away, but I just keep feeling this thought pressed upon my mind and my heart. Take him some coffee. And so I realize that if I make a habit out of ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit, I'll make a habit out of not obeying the Holy Spirit. So in the end, I make some coffee. I take it to him. And as he turns around to look at me, what does he have in his hand? A cup of coffee. So I feel so stupid on the inside. I'm like, I knew this wasn't God. This was just me. And so we start talking, and it's so amazing. In this moment, you know, I find out he's a Christian, and we start speaking about his life and his faith, about his marriage, about some of the struggles that he's facing. And we have this incredible moment of connection. In the end, we pray together, and it feels like this holy moment, like we were in heaven together. And as I walk away, I look at my empty cup, and suddenly it dawns on me. The coffee was never for him. It was for me. It was so that the two of us could have this moment of connection as brothers in Christ. The Holy Spirit wants to guide us into truth. And maybe one last thing on how the Holy Spirit guides us. I think probably one of the most important areas of truth that the Holy Spirit wants to guide us toward is the reality of our sonship in Jesus. You know, for the ancient Jewish culture, the eldest son represented something of inheritance. Everything that the father had would be his. And so the New Testament uses that metaphor for our relationship with God. We have been adopted now as the sons of God, whether we are male or female. And so everything that the father promises, we have. Romans 8.14 says, For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. And you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Please hear me that in Jesus, the opinion of God over us is so much greater than we can ever imagine. And yet we often don't live with this kind of boldness, you know, as sons of God. Many years ago, our middle child, Benjamin, my son, we were still potty training him at that stage. And all parents know this is a precarious time. You have to keep tabs on them because they make a mess really quickly. And so this one day I'm alone at home with them and suddenly it's very quiet in the house. And so I realized, oh my goodness, where is Benjamin? And so I'm running around in the house. I'm, I'm calling out his name and then I get to the bathroom door and it's closed. So I knock, and as I knock, I just hear this nervous voice on the other side saying, no, don't come in. And now I'm worried. So as I open the door, again, this voice cries out, no, don't come in. And what do I find there? I find my poor son, Benjamin. He had been playing outside, and he had so much fun that he completely forgot about everything going on around him, and he soiled himself properly. And so I find him standing there trying to wash in this basin. He's trying to wash away the shame of what he is experiencing. I mean, it was everywhere, the shame. It was on the floor, in the basin, on the walls. It was everywhere. And yet in that moment, you saw that though he is my son, he didn't realize that he could come to me with everything, with anything. 
He was my son in nature, but not yet my son in truth, in heart. And this is often how we live. We don't live with the boldness of being a son of God. And that's why it's so important. John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. I want to challenge you today to make time, to make it a priority to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit guiding you. At one stage, I worked out of this tiny little office, and at home we had three young kids. I didn't feel like there was any space for me just to have silence and solitude with God. And so my wife, being just the incredible spouse that she is, she bought me this second-hand, 100-rand, single-seater couch. It was worth nothing, and it was tiny, but it fit into my little office, and I would sit there daily, and I would just wait upon the voice of the Spirit to guide me. Maybe a last question we can ask is, how does the Holy Spirit actually empower us? Because you see, God doesn't just want every person on earth to be in relationship with Him, but He wants everyone to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Just before Jesus returned to the Father, He spoke about the importance of the Holy Spirit impacting every area of our lives. In Acts 1 verse 8, He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. So Jesus was saying that we were not going to engage this mission of God into the world in our own strength. No, we are going to join God in His message of reconciliation through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are witnesses in this way to all of God, all that He is to all those around us. In fact, Peter, one of the early disciples of Jesus, when he spoke about the Holy Spirit empowering us, he said the outworking of this would not just be that we would see the fruit of the Spirit's character in us, but that we would see the power of the Spirit working through us. Acts 2 verse 17, it says this, And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all people, And then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. You know, God working through us and the power of the spirit. This is not something that's reserved for a holy few in the Christian life. No, it's for every single believer. It's God's invitation to be empowered by His Spirit for all of us. So, in closing, maybe I can just ask you, what then is the next step for you in your following of Jesus? You know, the the first day that God poured out His Spirit in this miraculous way, it's often called the day of Pentecost, the people around them, the early church in Jerusalem, they were so astounded by the message and the miracle of the presence of God, that they asked them, what must we do? Let me read it to you. Acts 2.37 says, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy 
Spirit. You see, as a new believer, you have started this relationship with Jesus. And your next step is firstly, to be baptized by full immersion in water. And secondly, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I trust that a whole new world will open up for you. So as you take daily steps with Jesus, I trust that you will start nurturing a life that's guided by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that we can have your very presence in us, guiding us, empowering us for the fullness of life that you hold. And I pray for everyone listening to my voice today that they would experience the fullness of who God is, not just close to them, but in the very fiber of their life. Thank you that you give us your spirit and your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for spending time with me, and I will see you in our next session. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.